Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to All American Taxpayers Seeking Common Sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are in the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. We're back on the air faster than ever with this new episode of the pod. Budget Watchdog faithful, you know what didn't happen last weekend, and so do we. American tax dollars were not wasted on a government shutdown. But as it turns out, Avoiding that self-inflicted fiscal damage was merely the beginning of a historic and even more highly chaotic time in the House of Representatives. Just before noon on Tuesday, October 3rd, a rebellion led by Representative Matt Gates, a far-right Republican from Florida, led to the House of Representatives voting 216 to 210 to oust McCarthy with a handful of conservative joining Democrats to remove him. Why? Because on Saturday, the Speaker relied on Democratic votes to help pass a bill to avoid a partial government shutdown. And that's where we pick up the story with my trusted colleagues, TCS VP Autumn Hanna and TCS Senior Policy Analyst Josh Sewell. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Let's start with the continuing resolution. I mean, who doesn't love a buzzer beater? Yeah, really talk about down to the wire. I think the president signed the bill at 30 minutes before midnight. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I got to say, clearly not gambling is the right move for me. Yeah, I think last week we were all saying like 99.9% we were going to have a shutdown. And I think we hit just that 0.1%. And really, we were all happy to be wrong in our prediction and thought, you know, we had the CR and we were under the gun with these 45 days. And then this week happened. So it's a long ways off to agreement here. And uh but I do think I remember last week that I had said the long weekend and we, and that was what we came closest to. Yeah, and that's fair. But I also got to say, it's like some soul searching for me. I think maybe those crop insurance lobbyists are right. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. So uh, I don't know. I think it's probably more that it's just frankly not possible to guess what's going on in a politician's head. And kind of scary to guess what's going on in some politician's heads. Yeah, and what this next go around is going to look like on a on a budget deal, which is what we had really planned to talk about. You know, we we knew on Saturday what what happened, and we got to this deal, and now now so much more has happened. I want to get more into that near the uh, later in the show, and and you know that about the speaker and what's happening there. Um, but we're a budget group, so let's get into it. The CR kept government running with 32 minutes to go was the actual time that the president tweeted or xed out um, that he'd signed the bill. Um, So we know that much, but let's get to the substance. What else was in the CR, Autumn? So what they passed was a 71-page funding patch. It was pretty clean. It keeps spending at the same levels through November 17th and just included a handful of add-ons. Pretty clean, as you said, means that there are still some ads. So what else caught a ride on this continuing resolution package? So that's right. Just a few things were added on, like 
things that were expiring, extending the authorization of the National Flood Insurance Program and the Federal Aviation Administration were added, and a few things that have really strong bipartisan support, like a base salary increase for the wildland firefighters. And then the refill of the the $16 billion for the Disaster Relief Fund, which we have talked about uh, on the podcast. So that was included $15.5 billion for declared major disasters, plus a go-ahead for FEMA to spend faster than usual. There were a few other normal anomalies, like the ability to meet spending needs for the WIC program, but really all in all, pretty clean deal. And one uh, notable item, right, that wasn't included is the Ukraine aid, which has strong bipartisan support, but uh, certainly was a a non-starter for certain elements. And I think that maybe Speaker McCarthy thought that would get him in the clear with his conference, but certainly didn't work for all of them. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that Ukraine aid now and what's going to happen. So there's a lot of support, as you said, for that. Right. So one of the things we talked about last week on the pod, Josh, uh, was the mood among credit agencies, such as uh, Moody's not being good and downgrade of the U.S. debt being expected. So what what came about from that, Josh? Well, so far, I haven't seen anything, but it's only been a couple of days. Let's not forget. Um, but we should remember that last week when Moody's sent out a press release basically saying that as the last of the three major credit agencies who have not downgraded our AAA rating, they're the only one who hasn't, they said a shutdown would put that at risk. And I think I looked it up and specifically what they said was, quote, intensifying political polarization, unquote, was the risk they were concerned about. So no shutdown, that's great. One, there's always the threat of another shutdown starting November 17th. But I think even more important right now is that Moody's didn't say anything about what would happen if there was a lack of a speaker. So like not having a speaker wasn't something they factor did not appear to factor into their announcement. So it's like a brave new world now. Certainly adds uh, to, to the dysfunction. And, um, you know, we mentioned Representative Matt Gates, the top, the trigger puller on the motion to vacate that ultimately toppled Speaker McCarthy. And he was ironically so, sort of talking about these issues recently as well, although kind of in a self-serving manner. I think that the downgrade from Fitch was largely driven by the fact that there's no real backstop to spending. So here's what we need, no matter who's the speaker. We need a top-line budget that, at least in the House of Representatives, returns to pre-COVID spending levels. And then we need to be able to have single-subject spending bills with open amendments to have programmatic review of agency spending. Well, that's interesting. I mean, certainly the latter part of that we discussed and we've talked about many times on uh, Budget Watchdog AF, and that is that we should be going back to regular order where, you know, there is a budget resolution that sets top line spending levels and that there are annual spending bills that are considered individually and with amendments um, available. And that's regular order. And we're certainly for that. Unfortunately, you know, what you're looking at is, is that, you know, there was top line spending agreement created in the Fiscal Responsibility Act, the debt ceiling deal, and that um, the House has been moving some bills along and we'll get into that too. Uh, and so it, it's an interesting time where you see some alignment from somebody like Representative Gates and Congresswoman Jayapal, for instance, on, on these issues. Um, but in reality, the House has to govern and they have to deal with the, the, with the, the cards that are in front of them. And, and in this case, the government was about to shut down and they needed to do a CR and they needed to do the spending bills. They can walk and chew gum at the same time. At least we hope so. Yeah. So I'd say I completely agree with that. And one thing that we've talked about in other venues is that this isn't the only bite of the apple. So I feel like you had an agreement. It's not great. 
as far as the debt limit deal. Let's get this done. We're already into this fiscal year a few days and who knows what's going to happen over the next month. Let's move on, take what wins we got, and then go on to next year's budget because they still have to do the budget next year. We're going to have this whole, it's the same actors in the same stage. So let's right, let's just move on. I mean, frankly, and and also address some of the bigger issues uh, in the spending realm. That's not just discretionary spending. Right, which we all know is 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 not the biggest portion of uh, the the budget, not even close. And certainly, if you're taking out defense, you're talking about fifteen percent of the budget. I think you've pointed that out before too, Josh. I'm Steve Ellis, and you're listening to Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. We continue now with TCS Vice President Autumn Hanna and TCS Senior Policy Analyst Josh Sewell. Josh, when we we last talked and the uh, shutdown clock was winding down, the Senate was working on enacting a continuing resolution to keep the government running. So what what happened with that? Well, the Senate uh, seemed like they were going to have something and just sort of jam the House. But once the House got their package together, the Senate Republicans sort of pulled back and did what the Senate does and slowed things down to see if the House could actually get their spending bill, their CR done. And then it didn't happen. So that's where we that's where we are. Autumn, shifting to you, I mean, we talked about just now about the House uh, actually moving spending bills, fiscal year 24 spending bills. Uh, they moved three last week. Um, is that still the plan to continue moving forward like that? That's still the plan, even with the the speaker uh, issues going on and being an uncharted territory here. The House bills have become even more conservative, which may not align with the Senate and the president's priorities. So we, we're we still going to be at a likely impasse, but but we, uh, there is a calendar here of bills that the House had put out and was has plans to move on. Right. So they've got four of them done, um, which is a third of the way, and uh, they still got eight more to go. Okay. We mentioned this at the top. Autumn mentioned the speaker. So let's let's address the elephant in the room. Josh, what the hell happened? Uh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, so actually, I'd like to point out that one of the last things that they had done uh, two days ago since we were taping this, was they had voted on a rule to say, let's go ahead and uh, debate the ledge branch and energy and water bills. So that was the last thing they did. And then Matt Gates stood up and said, hey, uh, let's throw a wrench in everything if for while, in Washington for quite a while. So just to get back to the details. So one of the changes that happened in this Congress, when they set the rules, every Congress, uh, they have to vote on the rules for those two years. One of the House rule changes made by then, well, now ex-Speaker McCarthy, uh, was a concession to uh, the hard right faction in his uh, caucus to allow any one individual member to make a motion to vacate the chair. So this is what's known as a a privileged motion, uh, and it challenges the speaker. It basically says, I don't want this person to be speaker. Uh, And so there's a lot of details on it, but basically uh, what happened was Congressman Gates from Northern Florida uh, made the motion right after they had agreed to start talking about a spending bill. Uh, and then seven other uh, Republicans joined him and, and all the Democrats uh, to boot Speaker McCarthy from office. Uh, it should be noted that normally speakerships, voting on the speaker is a party line affair. If you remember back in January, I think it was 14, maybe 15 votes. It took, 15. Uh, took 15 rounds for McCarthy, then Representative McCarthy to become speaker. And so that's in large part because no Democrat's going to vote for a Republican to be speaker. They just, you don't do that. Uh, and so in this voting to vacate the chair, there was some talk about maybe Democrats would save McCarthy, but it's, this is one of those votes that's going to be partisan. So the fact that a handful of Republicans in such a tight 
uh, Congress, uh, where it only takes five basically to uh, lose your majority. Um, it, this is unprecedented, but it happened. And it's frankly, it's just kind of crazy. Right. And, you know, back in January, in those 15 votes, every single Democrat, every single time voted for minority leader um, or eventual minority leader Hakeem Jeffries to be speaker because it's not a technically it's not a, a party position because it was created in the Constitution when there weren't parties. You know, and we don't have to get into that sort of stuff. But bottom line is, is whichever party's in the minority is going to vote for their candidate for speaker and not for the majority candidate for speaker. And so. It wasn't up to Democrats to save McCarthy's skin. It was up to Republicans to save that. And it's been a hundred years since this is this tactic, more than a hundred years, this tactic has been used. And to some extent, it's kind of interesting because then Speaker Cannon, Joe Cannon, he actually brought it up against himself to kind of dare his naysayers in his conference to, um, to, to vote him out. And, you know, to some extent, Congressman McCarthy did the same thing and they did it. So, Josh, you know, these hard right faction members, you know, they, ha- they have a plan, right? They have their candidate. They know what's going to happen next, right? Tell me there's a plan. No, there's no plan other than dysfunction. And I think it's important to point out that this vacating the chair privileged motion has been, has been around for 100 years. So it's had different rules for it where it, sometimes it was required five members. Sometimes it required a lot more than five members to do it. But the fact is that you don't do this to your own party has always been the norm. And so the fact that there are a handful of folks who are willing to do this, um, you would hope that there was some next step, but it appears, no, it's just, we're all just twiddling our thumbs uh, and prognosticating and just trying to figure out what happens. Okay. So Autumn, we talked about, you know, uh, electing a speaker at the beginning of Congress. Um, and we know that the House can't actually act. They can't form committees. They can't bring up legislation until there's actually a speaker. Is, is that the situation now? That's correct. But to ensure continuity in government in the House, uh, they adopted a procedure post 9-11 that they are tapping here in this situation. Um, After he was elected speaker, Congressman McCarthy submitted a sealed list of names that would be tapped to be speaker pro temp if he was incapacitated. So right now, Congressman Henry has the gavel and the House continues to operate until a speaker is elected. Which could take a while. Certainly if passed as prologue. Yeah. So so as of taping, I I checked uh, right before we got on and there have been two candidates that have emerged. So Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan from Ohio and Majority Leader Steve Scalise, uh, Louisiana. So two very different people. Uh, and But how either gets a majority of votes, I think, is just um, I can't circle that square. OK, so now we've got this speaker race going on. House is potentially, you know, and, and we're in uncharted territory. There's never been a speaker pro tem uh, in the House. And so there's arguments about the caretaker or, or, or how it moves. And so some of it will be to see how speaker pro tem McHenry operates. But our last prediction from the, the previous podcast, you know, trying to look at these was on the outcome of the FY24 spending bills. And that would depend on the willingness of uh, lawmakers to address the major issues and, and come to a compromise. And that's certainly still true, but the appetite for that remains to be seen. Josh, give me some hope here at the end of the podcast. Well, I mean, we all know I am the the most optimistic person at TCS, um, so I can definitely do that. But in all honesty, one thing that has emerged uh, that comes about 
I think in every Congress, but I think is getting a little more momentum in just the last couple of days is an effort to create a fiscal commission to tackle our spending and revenue issues. Because Congress has shown, repeated Congresses have shown that they are apparently incapable of doing their job and making the tough decisions to get our spending train back on the right tracks. And so it's Bill Hazinga, Republican from Michigan. So he and Scott Peters, a Democrat from California, have a bill to create a fiscal commission. And it's co-sponsored by 13 other members in the House, basically equally Republican and Democrat. And it would create this commission that would put responsibility on on finding solutions to our spending and, and revenue issues uh, up upon folks who aren't all members of Congress. And actually, just we don't have to get all the details because it could always change uh, once if this bill moved along. But essentially, it would empower the four corners are called. So the speaker, once we have one, the speaker, the minority leader in the House, and then the majority leader and the minority leader in the Senate to then each appoint four people. So you'd have 16 people. Three of them would have to be members of Congress. One would not be a member of Congress from each of those groups. So you'd have three House Republicans, three House Democrats, plus one expert could be TCS's Steve Ellis if they wanted, or anybody who has an uh, experience in this. Well, technically, I guess they don't need experience, but but four outsiders, 12 insiders, equally partisan from both chambers, half and half. And then they would be given some authority to go make some proposals. And then Congress would be required to vote on them. There'd be deadlines uh, and there'd be an actual a product that comes out of this. Yeah. And, and they don't have to start from scratch either. They can use things that came out of like Simpson Bowles and use those previous recommendations. And we have seen commission, you know, is skeptical and how it is kind of punting by Congress. We have seen that commissions can can have an effect and can be helpful. You know, certainly the one I think back to is before he was actually the chair of uh, the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan led a commission that increased solvency to Social Security and it got us to where we are today. And that was something that was in the 80s and, and in, the, in the early 80s and something where there can be success. And there have been other commissions as well. So it's an extraordinary measure, but we're in extraordinary times. And um, I have a hard time even saying that emphatically enough. Uh, so Autumn, Josh, thank you for joining. I couldn't do it without you. No, that's pretty clear. And I'm always happy to help. Yeah, Thanks, Steve. Well, there you have it, podcast listeners. Politics, legislating and governing thing ain't for the faint of heart. That's for sure. This is the frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode soon. I hope you'll meet us right here to learn more.